0: Angie's List is now Angie, A-N-G-I, the nation's largest home services marketplace. And they're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project is, big or small, indoor or outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled professionals to get the job done. Well, that's what you want, right? I'm uh, thinking about building out my basement in my cabin. I've been perusing Angie looking for just the right contractor to get it done the way my wife and I want it done. Now, Angie can help you find the best price for your project. Angie lets you request and compare quotes from multiple pros in just a few taps or book services at an upfront price based on local data. Angie has cost guides that tell you what others have paid for similar projects, both nationally and right in your neighborhood. That's important, right? You can do comparative shopping. Get started today at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I or download the app today. The app and the website are free to use. Angie.com or the Angie app. Go check it out today. Hello, America, and welcome to a new edition of John Solomon Reports, a podcast from Just the News, where today we're going to be joined for most of the show by the great Attorney General from the state of Louisiana, Jeff Landry. He has been on the cutting edge of some of the most important lawsuits challenging the edicts and mandates and policies of the Biden administration, whether it's related to energy or COVID or human trafficking. He is on the cutting edge of a lot of the most important legal issues between states and the Washington DC government that has gotten so big and so imposing over the last few years his one of the, the more interesting lawsuits that he is pursuing right now is to force the Biden administration to lift its ban on moving liquefied natural gas by train all right so we get rid of the pipeline right we cancel the trans canada pipeline that's Joe Biden's one of his first actions and then the natural thing to do would be to take fuel and move it by train. And then all of a sudden, the Biden administration bans that, clearly trying to suffocate the movement of meaningful energy around this country. Jeff Landry has been on the front end of trying to defeat that ban and to get natural gas, liquefied natural gas moving again by train so that we can get more energy around this country. He also is one of the leading states in the effort to block a minimum wage hike that the Biden administration approved, not through law, but through executive order for federal contractors. This at a time when rising costs and inflation are ready, are a red alarm fire for America. And of course, if the federal government requires minimum wage to go up, the price of all of those businesses go up with it. And you know what happens. The businesses don't need it. say, oh, I'll just be a good guy and Pass it on. They always pass it on to the consumer, which means you and me. So Jeff Landry will be here. That is going to be a really fun conversation. He's one of the really high-profile attorneys general in the country each week, and I'm really looking forward to having him on. And then in the second segment, we're going to take an interview we did last night on the television show. It really had some of uh, sizzling and pop, and, and I think as we look over the... Horizon, the Ohio Senate race, is uh, going to be one of the most important races in the year. A lot of interest. It's one of the few races where Donald Trump hasn't picked a candidate yet. And so you wonder, well, what's going on with that? Well, Josh Mandel, he's in the top tier. He could be the next uh, senator. A lot of people believe he's moving up. He's a former statewide office holder, as former Ohio State Treasurer, a Marine, and really run a pretty tough campaign. He's actually making some fairly big inroads. He joined us last night. He talked about the security posture, the economic posture that America finds itself in. And also, he is one of the leading voices for cryptocurrency, for Bitcoin. And uh, we're going to ask him what he thinks about Joe Biden dipping his finger into that and saying, I want to have a hand in regulating Bitcoin. I bet he has some strong feelings about that. We're going to get to that as part of the interview. Now, before we get started on the interviews, and we've got two good ones today, Josh Mandel, and of course, Attorney General Jeff Landry from Louisiana. I want to first start, with a story I broke overnight. Because when people ask about transparency and honesty in government, is there a deep state? Does it lie? Does it hide things from Congress, the American people, the people's representatives? And we already know the story about the FBI, right? All the documents they withheld that it took us two, three, four, five years to squeeze out so we could prove or learn that the FBI did not have a basis really to investigate Russia collusion, There was no conspiracy between Donald Trump and Vladimir Putin. It was a figment of the Clinton campaign's imagination, and it was intentionally unleashed to take away from Hillary Clinton's political problems, which at the time in 2016 involved her own relations with Russia, as well as her email scandal, the um, private email server scandal. So, all right, we know the FBI did it. Well, guess what? So this morning, we can prove that the Secret Service is doing it as well. Yes, those are the guys that protect our president, our vice president. They're also very good at solving financial crimes. They're an important agency. They're filled with lots of great people. I've met lots of Secret Service agents over the years. They're all very impressive. They're all good people. But like bureaucratic agencies often do, they can play a game of keep away. And we have caught them at that. in a big way, Senators Johnson and Senators Grassley issued statements last night after we broke our story. And I just want to read you what Ron Johnson, who, by the way, is going to join us on the TV show tonight, just the news, not noise with Amanda Head and I. He said a really powerful thing. I can think of only two explanations for why the Secret Service didn't turn over the documents you found. Either the Secret Service is incompetent or it is corrupt. Wow. All right, now what are we talking about? If we're we're at the point of accusing... If a US senator is at the point of accusing the Secret Service of either being incompetent, which by the way, it's not, they're the best at protecting presidents, then maybe corruption or intentional. Willful withholding of information may be what's going on here. What are we talking about? Well, starting four years ago, Senators Johnson and Grassley asked the Secret Service for all of its communications with Hunter Biden. They were exploring Hunter Biden's global travel, his effort to cash in on his father's business overseas, Burisma, China, Ukraine, Kazakhstan, Romania, Anywhere, Joe Biden had a foreign policy interest. Hunter Biden had a business deal he was trying to incubate. And the Secret Service was with him all those times. And what happened was over the period of time, the Secret Service failed to produce records. Now, they eventually came up with a list of all the trips that Hunter Biden took with Secret Service protection, talking about 400 trips, as if I remember the number right. So the Secret Service was constantly protecting this global traveler that was Hunter Biden. But they had these odd gaps in the records. There were just no communications in 2010, 2011, or 2013 that the Secret Service said they could find. They claimed that even though they were protecting him, they didn't communicate with him. There was no email. There was no text messages. They literally just sent another letter on Valentine's Day this year from the director himself, James Murray, the director of the Secret Service. He wrote, The Secret Service worked extensively with your committees, to the Senators Johnson and Grassley, and agreed to search parameters provided by your office to identify communications regarding Mr. Biden's travel that's Hunter Biden, by the way. These search parameters did not yield any communications for the years 2010, 2011, or 2013. Hmm. So how did they let Hunter Biden know when they were protecting? How did Hunter Biden know, let him know where they were going? According to Secret Service, there's no communication. Well, that smelled to the high heavens. And so what, here's what I did. I went onto that famous laptop, the one that John Paul McIsaac got from Hunter Biden. Hunter Biden abandoned it. John Paul McIsaac gave it to the FBI. We have a copy of the laptop as it was given to the FBI the day it was turned over to the FBI, the exact state it was in, unchanged. And guess what? I found lots of emails between Hunter Biden and Secret Service. In fact, all of the emails were going to the official Secret Service email server, usss.dhs for homeland.gov. There were emails about travel, emails about staying in the hotel, emails about checking in, emails leaving out, emails about transportation, Upcoming trips, behind trips, one of the emails, Hunter Biden was going to Monterey, Mexico. I think that ended up having to do something with his energy businesses. And the Secret Service agent said, Hunter, when you have some free time, I'd like to discuss the Monterey trip with you. I have some specific information to provide you that was received by our Mexico City office. Intelligence about his safety, about the state of Monterey before he'd be going there. Well, that was sent April 28th, 2011. I found it. It's sitting on the Hunter Biden Laptop, which means the sends back and forth from the United States Secret Service are sitting on their servers. I found it. Maybe they got Hillary Clinton managing their email servers at the Secret Service because I can't figure out why they couldn't find it. But we found all sorts of fascinating things. You know, a lot of it is the boring effort of, you know, arranging security and details and travel. But sometimes there were some politics. Sometimes there were some personal favors involved. Let me give you an example of politics. Uh, one time, one of the agents on the detail protecting Hunter Biden wrote, Hunter Biden and said, hey, I just want to let you know the captain, referring to some airline pilot they had just met, wanted to pass on to you that he is a Democrat. I think he is a fan. Uh, a little politics, a little political shining going on there, Secret Service, sucking up or uh, someone else sucking up to Hunter Biden through the Secret Service. Now, another time, Hunter Biden asked the Secret Service to intervene to help him on a matter in New York City. Put some pressure on local law enforcement because there was a friend who had a basketball league named in honor of, of him, and the league was largely Jewish. And many of the people were beginning to receive threatening messages, and law enforcement wasn't doing enough, according to the hunter, by email and his friends. and And he asked his Secret Service agent if he could put some pressure on there. So that email is there now. All the emails that we found. They're up on Just the News. You can check it out under this headline. Secret Service says it doesn't have Hunter Biden emails from some years, but his laptop says otherwise. The emails do exist. We found them. You should go check them out. Important story. Another example of a government agency not fulfilling its requirements under law, its requirements to Congress, and its requirements to the truth to all of us as Americans and taxpayers. All right, folks, we're going to take that quick commercial break that we always take at this point. And when we come back, first up, Jeff Landry, the great attorney general from the state of Louisiana, one of the leading AGs in suing the Biden administration on all things energy, on masks and on mandates, one of the leading experts on states' rights challenging the big Washington government that Joe Biden and Democrats have built. And then when that's done, we're going to turn to a great conversation we had last night with Josh Mandel, Republican candidate for U.S. Senate in Ohio. He's in the top tier. He has a lot to say about cryptocurrency, about Ukraine, about America standing in the world. And he's a former Marine or retired Marine, so he knows. We're going to have both of those up right after this commercial break. They're going to send you a complete title scan of your home's title and your first 30 days of Triple Lock Home Title Protection. That's legendary protection, by the way. It's free. HomeTitleLock.com. Use the promo code JustNews one more time. Go to HomeTitleLock.com today and protect your most important asset, the equity, in your home. Hey, folks, have you heard of cancer-fighting foods? The American Cancer Society discovered diets rich in fruits and vegetables may actually lower Kidneys and metabolism groups, even healthy weight. What your body needs is in each scoop of delicious Field of Greens. I take it every day. Sometimes I put it in a shake. Sometimes I put it in my egg white omelet in the morning. Field of Greens. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. So proud to have this next guest on the show. He's been on here before. Every time he's on, he's got new litigation, new efforts to fight for states' rights, for uh, for fighting for common sense, fighting for energy in America. Joining me right now from the great state of Louisiana is its Attorney General, Jeff Landry. General Landry, great to have you on today. Well,
1: thank you for giving me an opportunity to visit with you and all the great listeners you got out there.
0: We are uh, always following the great work that you're doing, and particularly in this moment where we see gas prices going up. And every American is going, why are we not tapping our own energy resources here? We were. We were energy independent. You had some amazing lawsuits. I want to focus on one of them that's getting a lot of attention You've led two dozen states in suing uh, the Biden administration to lift its ban on moving liquefied natural gas by train. This is something we have an abundance of. It doesn't seem like the administration want to let that energy spread. What's up with that?
1: Well, John, look, if you had to write a book, if I tasked you with writing a book about how to destroy America, how to make us less secure, how to drive up energy costs for consumers, a topic on either one of them, right? This would be the playbook. This is the book that you would write because let me take you back. The first thing that President Biden did when he got in office was cancel the Keystone Pipeline, yeah. right? So he initially essentially cut off our ability to get oil from Canada to refineries down on the Gulf Coast, where I would remind all you listeners that 56 percent of the refining capacity for the country lies right cut that off now next thing he does is says you know what we're not going to allow you to move natural gas lng liquefied natural gas by rail okay think about that in other words what he what is what he is doing is essentially slowly trying to strangle the fossil fuel industry Okay, this is the industry that has lifted more people out of poverty than any other industry in the world. It's the industry that has built the middle class bigger, better and brighter than any other industry. It also is the industry that makes all the great products that make our quality of life in America and around the world. Great. I mean, me and you would not be able to have this discussion over this podcast, and then streaming out to all the great people who are listening without the energy industry, without oil and gas. And so what they're doing is they're strangling it at each one of its branches or each one of its veins, and that is what's driving the cost up to the consumer.
0: And the president has said in the last week multiple times, along with his pitch men and women on the podium, that uh, he's done nothing to discourage domestic and oil and gas production. It's not true. You have repeatedly called him on. How does he get away saying that? Why does the media not call him on that more? I mean, obviously, we do hear just the news and Fox News does, but uh, he seems to have this narrative that is completely eroded by the facts.
1: Well, of course, because that's what they normally do. They just shy. I mean, they never let the truth get in the way of something that they want to do. <laughs> I mean, look, they support ESG, you know, the ESG policies, which I call, which basically I think that ESG stands for everyone suffers greatly, okay, because you're suffering at the pump, <laughs> yeah. you're suffering at the grocery store, you are. you're suffering at the mailbox when your utility bill comes in, right? All because, the, uh, because of inflationary costs. And he believes, again, he believes that he is at arm's length to that. That oh well, there's nothing I can do about gas. Well, okay, let's not even. There's plenty you can do. That's but right. But let's just see that for a minute. What then? What are you doing to decrease the price of food at the grocery store? What do you decrease? I mean, the average American's electric bill has risen forty percent this year. It's amazing. I mean, think about that. That's mind-boggling. That's, right. It is. It is. Every time. So so it's not just when you pay it at the pump. It's when you pick it up your bill at, uh, at, at the mailbox.
0: Yeah, it, it is amazing, you know. And you were on Maria Roma real recently, and I thought you hit on something that a lot of people um, in the macro conversations miss. At the end of the day, the people who suffer most of this are not the wealthy, not the elitists in Washington, not the guys being driven around in blue cars here in Washington uh, sedans. It's the middle class and working class of America, and the and the poor in America who are getting hit most by this inflation tax. How does it? How do the Democrats ignore that? I mean, they always say they were the party of the poor and the working class, but it seems like they've put the greatest burden on that class in American history.
1: Well, the sad part is is that as, is that prices are going up and it affects the lower class. The good news is that the president's poll numbers continue to go down, right? right. And so, because of that, I think that I think Democrats are going to take a shellacking come November uh, because it is all about the economy, and they're going to go out. They're going to start to compare them compare where they were today and where they were y- yesteryear right. right before the Biden administration, under the Trump administration, under a Republican controlled House, a Republican controlled Senate, and saying, Well, wait a minute, when was my life better? And of course your life is always better when you got more coins in the pocket, right? And then and unfortunately right now, everyone, especially the middle class and, and, and the working um, the working man and men and women out there is basically they don't have any more nickels left in the pocket. They do All being eaten up by inflationary costs, which is all be which is all because of a man-made crisis. That's important to recognize. If the economy was on such fire, right, that supply was limited because demand was so high, it'd be one thing. But the problem with prices right now is it's artificially being inflated because of the because of the poor policy choices of the Biden administration. And the Democrats. And that's just a fact.
0: No, it is. And listen, even some of their own economists, people like Larry Summers are saying this was brought on by the policies, not by some uh, third party. It seems like Joe Biden is always blaming someone else, not himself. But I think uh, most of the country now understands it for what it is. Um, there's another place where uh, they're trying to increase costs. There are federal contractors that have fixed contracts and uh, the Biden administration has tried to impose a new minimum wage above what was allowed by federal law. You've joined uh, Ken Paxton in Texas and a couple other attorney generals to fight that. Tell us what's at stake in that and why it's a bad idea right now to be raising minimum wage for federal contractors.
1: Well, well, look, trying to raise any price right now is not good. I've always believed that the market is going to dictate uh, the labor, right? That you are going to be worth the amount of labor that you put out. And, and we've seen this. We've seen this happen, that basically when economies get hot, you see, you see jobs that normally would have pay minimum wage pay way above minimum wage. Why? Why? Because that labor skill set is needed. We should let the price of labor be determined based upon the economic activity. Activity and not the government basically creating artificial uh, floors for wages. Because here's, here, here is something else that's a fact, is when you do that, all you do is drive the cost of the goods and services up across the board. Because again, everybody has to go up. You got to make that amount of money back in so that you can pay those particular wages yeah and, and we believe that it's absolutely wrong that if 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 anything that should be state by state decisions
0: yeah exactly and that's that's all you're trying to preserve here with this lawsuit. Let the states make these decisions don't have a one size fits all federal solution, and you guys have won so many times in the last year every the lawsuits you and Paxton and other great attorney generals doing you're actually winning because federalism still is recognized by the court right you're, you're really finding a revival of federalism in this country with the work you're doing
1: it's correct you know it and, and I tell you it, it, it's we are doing some great work we've got some great Republican attorney generals out there uh, that hopefully are, are represented by many of you listeners and um and 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 what what the problem is, it, and here's the problem, and, and we, all, we talk about this all the time when we get together, is that policymaking in this country was always designed to be done in the legislature, yeah. right, in Congress. More and more, the policy decisions are being made by the courts. It's not something I like. It's, but, but it's a fact and it's where it's at. And that's why Republican attorney generals, when we band together and you see us acting the way we act in protecting our states and protecting states' rights, right, just like things that you were talking about, about minimum wage, um, about, about federal overreach, you know, where, where, where we consistently have, have taken case after case against the Biden administration and saying, wait a minute, you are encroaching on the policing powers of the state.
0: Yeah, it's amazing. And uh, well, the record of victory that you've rolled up in the courts, these attorney generals, yourself included, is really remarkable. I've not seen an administration in my lifetime that has lost more times in the Biden administration in court. It's a remarkable moment.
1: Well, John, I'd like to think it's because we're that great and that smart. It's mostly because I think they pick some bad decisions. They make some (laughs) bad, bad decisions. They really do make it easy for us.
0: Yeah, I know that you, you guys have really hit where they're most vulnerable. And I think it's good because at the end of the day, this isn't just a battle between a bunch of lawyers. You're fighting for individual freedom and states' freedom and states' rights. And on that front, you've also made a lot of uh, headway in places like New Orleans, which was slow to uh, ease, even though the science called for it, to ease mass mandates, shot mandates. Um, Pretty big victory in the last uh, couple of weeks. You went in, you started to pursue subpoenas, and then all of a sudden, New Orleans said, you know what, we're not going to fight this anymore. How good did that feel to know that you could get freedom for the residents of New Orleans?
1: Well, I can tell you it, it felt great, but actually it felt just as great at the very beginning as it did at the end. And why? Because at the beginning, it was not just our office taking action. It was actually parents that were taking action. It's amazing. And, you know, there was a defining moment for me when we were in the U.S. Supreme Court arguing the OSHA mandates and the CMN, CMS mandates. And in the OSHA mandates, if you remember, we had a... We had hundreds of businesses that joined us right. uh, that, that 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 agreed that OSHA had w- way vast, greatly overstepped its authority. In the CMS case, it was just states, so we didn't really have any health providers, or doctors, or nurses, uh, or networks. And Justice Thomas caught that uh, because in the CMS case, he asked, him, "Well, where are the, the, the injured parties? You know, where where are those that are, that are being injured?" And I think that you saw the decision uh, lay in. To that ground right a week later what you got was a decision to vacate the OSHA mandate but uphold the CMS mandate and so going back to New Orleans I think that's why it was so important to have hundreds of parents getting involved in suing the mayor and of course the mayor didn't help herself when she got caught massless at a number of Mardi Gras balls right. um, <laughs> yes. coming up to the, to, to the case. But, of course, that's nothing new we've seen either, right? Uh-huh. We, we remember uh, Governor Newsom. We yep. saw countless other Democratic um, uh, elected officials basically uh, telling people, do as I say and not as I do. And so I think that that whole combination is what gave us a great victory and finally forced the mayor to, um, uh, to drop. To drop a nonsense.
0: Yeah, it was a remarkable moment to see that. And uh, you're right, the ultimate winners are the parents and kids and others who were laboring under uh, unfair uh, imposition of these government rules. Um, Another place that I I think of you often when I see the work you've done, you're you're eloquently always fighting for tightening up the border because you argue properly that people who come across the border unvetted ended up becoming the burden of the states. Every state becomes a border state in this open environment we have right now. But you also are one of the real champions of fighting human trafficking. And I think the border has only made that human trafficking situation a lot worse. Talk about what you're seeing in the growth of human trafficking because there's just no control at the border right now.
1: Well, look, it's ad nauseum and it's exacerbated the problem. I mean, if you have an open border, right, then basically, look, criminals will exploit anything in the system. Anytime criminals see a weakness inside of of government function where they know they're not going to be penalized uh, for the crime that they're committing, they will ex- they will use that in the in the exploitation of their practice. And so we've seen that it, whether it's be drugs, the amount of drugs, fentanyl and opioids poured across the border, and then in comes human trafficking yeah. as well. Uh, and so what, what what we see? I mean, look, it's not all nice these that are happening at the border. Now, I mean, you don't have this great wonderful family, um, you know. Uh, packing up in Honduras and trekking across Mexico only to come into the United States because, um, you know, they couldn't get in any other way. That's not what this is. What you see are coyotes and cartels using this exploitation to basically ply their trade in America to move their poison and their slaves into this country. And the sad part is we're doing nothing about it. And I make the example of here's what I would I would challenge you, John. You know, you should put this question out and see if you can get any of your listeners or ask any of you listeners to put this question out. How many people they know do not have a front door in their house? Like how many? Yeah. Like, do you know anyone who doesn't have I a do front not.
0: door? I do
1: not. There's a reason. There's a reason. Okay, but if you say, "Well, oh, that's ridiculous, you know, well, okay, all right, well, so I'll tell you what. How many people you know don't have a lock on their front door? Yeah.
0: No one I know. Huh? Yeah, none. Right. Yeah.
1: right. Okay, why? You don't? You have a front door, you have a lock, you have a knob because that, is, that, is, that, that gives you the ability to control who comes in and out of your house, right? I mean, when you go on vacation, you don't just like leave the door unlocked and wide open and let anyone just pillage around in your pantry, okay? Right now, America is a house without a door, much less a lock, without a door. And, and, and we can't control who comes in and out. And that's why those criminals, they see that. They see this great. And, 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 and I'm going to tell you, the people that have suffered the most are, are minors and women. Not to count the countless hundreds of thousands of innocent Americans that we have buried because of fentanyl and opioid overdoses.
0: Yeah, it's just amazing. It, it is terrible. the very people they claim they're trying to help by opening the border they're actually harming the most it's uh it's counterintuitive to their argument uh, when uh, when you see the results one last thing because there was this fascinating study done uh, by a think tank in Louisiana the last week that said that excessive litigation unnecessary litigation costs have cost the state of Louisiana 3.2 billion dollars and 46,000 lost jobs that's a those are big numbers um tort reform used to be a really high priority for Republicans over the last decade or two it seems to have lost a little steam do statistics like this uh, open up the opportunity to wake you know educate Americans and try to get some form of tort reform back on the on the front burner
1: absolutely look I think in any industry you have you you have those inside of an industry that abuse the system, right, and try to game the system and use it to profiteer in the same way is in the legal industry here in Louisiana as well. And so we've seen people abuse the law. We've seen an erosion. We did a lot of tort reform back in the 90s, uh, and it's not like we undid any of those laws. Uh, we saw judges slowly erode it. You know, right. I tell people all the time, as important as tort reform is, is judicial reform, yeah. right? That's Great And I point. think that that's a key component in Louisiana is what is our judicial? Judiciary look like? How are we selecting judges? What are those judges doing on the bench, and are we watching them? You know, and so I think I think that I think that when you look at the problems that Louisiana has, I think it's compounded. Uh, and and look, everyone wants the ability, and 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 one of the reasons you hit on it, it's kind of gotten soft is because everyone has realized that they have to seek some justice or some equity inside the court system. Right. now, unfortunately, the court system has become more. Um, uh, it closes the door to those of us without the means, and that's unfair, and that's and that's not right, and that needs to be fixed. But at the same time, we also don't need to take a system and abuse it. Uh, and and of course, the judges are supposed to be the gatekeepers in making sure that that isn't abused.
0: Yeah, such an important part that that, that process that has begun a little bit, particularly in the states, to tighten up the judicial system and reform it is probably the the long term solution for. It. General Landry, it's always an honor to have you on. You're always doing such amazing work, and I really appreciate the insights. We're going to keep an eye on that energy. Hopefully soon we see some uh, energy spring from America that has been suppressed, because I think that is the key for the future. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed the time. Uh, you as well, sir. Thank you so much. Okay. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we got a little bit more discussion about energy right after this. Folks, we're sponsored today by Donors Trust, the tax-friendly way to preserve your charitable giving. In times of crisis, those with a giving spirit and a desire to build up civil society find ways to be helpful. And that's when it's good to have a charitable resource ready to deploy when they're needed most. Donors Trust offers donor-advised funds or giving accounts. You can use these funds as your own charitable investment account and manage your charitable giving in a way that's smart, tax-advantaged, aligned with your values, and private. Dota's Trust clients are using their funds to support charities helping their local communities while also using their giving account to give to the charities you love. That's DonorsTrust.org slash just News. All right, folks, as we draw near to another critical election, it's not only about casting your vote, it's about elevating your voice, making your voice be heard. AMAC is more than just a senior discount organization. They unite like-minded patriots like you and I
2: Welcome back, everybody. We are pleased to welcome Josh Mandel, former state treasurer and candidate in the U.S. Senate primary for retiring Republican Senator Rob Portman's seat. Josh, thanks so much for joining us. Good to be on. Okay, so we've got some foreign policy issues that we want to discuss, but none of that matters if we don't take care of what's happening here at home. As far as election integrity in Ohio. I know that Ohio runs a pretty tight ship, and we've seen that from from post-election data and investigations and such. But are you comfortable with Ohio's election system such that it is impervious to any to most fraud?
3: No, I'm not. I think we should investigate the fraud in every single state in the union. Uh, You know, a lot of folks uh, on the squishy uh, establishment side of the Republican Party say, hey, let's not look back to 2020. Let's just look look forward and put it behind us. My position is we cannot move forward until we fully investigate all of the cheating from the 2020 election. Uh, I've called for an audit in Arizona, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan, Georgia, but also in every other state in the union, even a state like Ohio, where Trump won by a high margin. I guarantee you he actually won by an even higher margin, uh, but we need to investigate all the Democrat cheating, especially in the urban areas, to know exactly what happened, to prosecute it and ensure that it never happens again.
0: Yeah, such important stuff. And, you know, national security and election integrity go hand in hand. There was a case over Thanksgiving where U.S. attorneys uh, in New York charged two Iranians with hacking into a voter database, one of the states that taking 100,000 identities and then using them to influence the election. We were sold a bill of goods right after the election that our systems were impervious. Nothing happened. Then we find out that did happen in November 2020. How concerned are you about state actors continuing to meddle in elections?
3: I'm very concerned. I mean, you look at the Iranians, you look at the Chinese, they hate America. Uh, and, you know, a lot of the folks on the left say, oh, hey, just look, let's, let's look the other way of what they're saying in the mosques. Let's look the other way of what they're saying at the meetings of the Chinese Communist Party. No, let's listen to exactly what they were saying. Let's translate it to English. And let's combat it. Because when you translate to English, what the clerics are saying in the mosques, what the Chinese Communist Party leaders are saying at their meetings, they are talking about bringing down America, bringing down our republic. And they want to infiltrate our election systems and machines in order to do that. Listen, on February 4th, Putin flew to Beijing. He met with Xi. Xi and Putin put out a joint statement for their their view of the future of the world. And there was one line in there that was really focused and addressed to the American people. And that line said that the Russian Federation and the Chinese Communist Party are focused on quote, the redistribution of power in the world. Translation, they are focused on the downfall of America. And you better you you better believe your bottom dollar that whether it's Xi in China, or any of these radical Islamists in the Middle East, they will do everything it takes. Obviously, we know that they'll shed blood, they'll steal money, they'll steal jobs. And they'll also infiltrate our election systems as well.
2: Josh, you brought up Iran, so I want to touch on Biden's foreign failures, I mean foreign policy. With respect to the JCPOA, as you are out campaigning, you're out in Ohio talking to your constituents, maybe people that aren't necessarily Republicans, What what's the temperature you're getting from those people with regards to reentering the nuclear deal?
3: Listen, I don't know of anyone in Ohio, Democrat, independent, Republican, Libertarian, vegetarian, whatever they are, that thinks that it's a good idea to take American tax dollars and send it to the Islamic Republic of Iran. The mullahs there, the leaders there, like I just referenced, they want to bring down the United States of America. And it is outrageous with the amount of reckless spending in Washington that now Biden wants to take our tax money and transfer it to a terror sponsoring nation. There's nothing about it that is good for America. And the dirty little secret that a lot of people don't realize is that while this negotiation is, negotiation is going on between the United States and America, there's a middleman facilitating that negotiation. And the middleman is Russia and China. You can't make this stuff up. Biden is relying on Russia and China to help negotiate this horrible deal with Iran while Russia is invading Ukraine and China is trying to bring down America. I mean, just, just think about how sick these people are in Washington.
0: Yeah, we're missing a big boat, not putting these pieces together the way you just put it together pretty clearly um, I like your bio because it has a lot of things in it. You're a Marine, you're pro-America, pro-God, pro-life, and you say pro-Bitcoin. And, and there's been a lot of activity in the last week. President Biden dipped his finger into the whole cryptocurrency debate. Tell us a little bit what you think about the president's regulation and what is the future of Bitcoin? If China wants to make a digital currency, America must have a play, right?
3: Sure. Well, the, the concept of a CBDC coming out of uh, you know, a centralized bank in, in Washington or anywhere else anywhere is bad for people it's bad for humans it's bad for individuals you know one of the main reasons I became a Bitcoin enthusiast and maximalist is because I believe in the concept of individual liberty and personal freedom and anyone who's skeptical about government anyone who's cynical and doesn't trust politicians you should be for Bitcoin because Bitcoin is all about empowering we as citizens we as individuals, to have an advance our cause of human liberty and to make government limited in size and scope get it out of the way and keep it from controlling our lives
2: yeah josh my concern though with with cryptocurrency in general is that if if the biden administration or whatever administration happens to be in office at that point when they start exploring the notion of regulating it i always talk about how government is the reverse midas touch they ruin everything and if they consider regulating bitcoin That that that's not a that's not a good sign for those of us who actually hold cryptocurrency.
3: I I agree 100 percent. Listen, there's something in the military that also exists in government, and it's called mission creep. And what happens is all these bureaucrats at the Department of the Treasury, at the Federal Reserve, in the White House, um, they fall victim to mission creep. And, you know, their mission is one thing. And then all of a sudden they get way off on a tangent because they have an opportunity to control we, the people. When I go to the U.S. Senate, I will combat this mission creep coming out of the Department of the Treasury, coming out the Federal Reserve. Frankly, I think we should end the Fed. And I will be a United States Senator who not just stands up for Bitcoin, but stands up for the principles that underlie it. Individual liberty, personal freedom, and ensuring that we as individuals and we as humans, we as families can control our lives and our livelihood. And listen, look no farther than just north of us, in Canada what Justin Trudeau did to those truckers. He seized their assets. It was big government working with big gang, big banks, working with big tech, who seized the assets of hardworking men and women, literally stopping them from putting food on the table from their families. You know, this wasn't in Russia. This wasn't in China. This wasn't in Venezuela. That was in Canada. And if it can happen there, it can happen here.
0: Yes, That's an important part, Josh. That's why you're fighting so much for freedom. It's great to have you on today, sir, and uh, we look forward to having you on in the future again to have more of this conversation. Thanks, guys. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we'll wrap things up for the day. Folks, if you owe back taxes, fair warning, you're not going to like this. The IRS is mailing millions of pay-up letters. Millions, I say. Hey, folks, can your IRA or 401k stand up to the next financial crisis that our top economists are saying is right at our doorstep? By allocating a percentage of your retirement into physical gold and silver with a tax-free rollover, you can diversify and safeguard your holdings from a turbulent market All right America, it's time to wrap things up for the day. I hope you enjoyed those two interviews, Jeff Landry and uh, Josh Mendel, Two guys with a lot to say, a lot of food for thought there. Always grateful for having guests that have so much to bring to the table each day. And that's clearly what they do and I'm excited about it for sure. All right folks, we're going to be back tomorrow with another edition of John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News because hey, we love to do that. It's why we do it. And we will be back tonight with our show on real america's voice 6 p.m eastern time just the news not noise great lineup tonight senator ron johnson's joining you're definitely going to want to hear what he has to say about the secret service scoop we broke this morning ukraine president zelensky's speech to the congress tune in six o'clock on channel 219 dish network channel 240 on the pluto network on the roku app on the real america's voice app on the just the news app just click the watch button you can watch the show at six o'clock thanks for tuning in we'll be back tomorrow with another edition god bless and good night hey folks have you heard of cancer fighting foods the american cancer society discovered diets rich in fruits and vegetables may actually lower your risk of cancer think about that for a second that's really important hopefully you hear this and run to the store for five servings of fruits and vegetables every day